In the first session, we looked at what it was to be born again, the Holy Spirit, by giving us this, this clean slate and this new power, this new start. So I'm going to look at basically the question, what does it really mean to be born again? What does the Holy Spirit do? What does it, you could say, what does it really look like? I'm going to give three kind of pieces of evidence. What does the Holy Spirit give us? If we ask the Holy Spirit into our lives, he gives us a hunger to know Jesus, he gives us a hunger to become like Jesus, and he gives us a hunger to serve Jesus. So it's kind of like three bits of evidence. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, this is what he gives us. So first of all, a hunger to know Jesus. So, I mean, this is pretty obviously common, but the first thing that, you know, we all, about relationships, when you get, get to know someone you like, whether it's in a kind of, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend type scenario, or just friends, is you want to get to know each other. You want to spend time together, you want to ask each other every question you, you know, so you get to just sort of know them, maybe know them more intimately. And you just sort of have this hunger to know the person. So I remember when I first started going out with Leanne, and this is going to show off a little bit, but uh, it's also quite embarrassing. I started going out with Leanne, when she was 18 and I was 15, right? And, and she had a car, right? And she picked me up from college with all my friends watching. So, uh, so that was when we started getting out. But anyway, she then went off to Switzerland for a gap year. And, um, and so we had, to, we had to get to know each other through letters. And I used to love sort of, you know, getting the letters, finding out what she's up to, what she's been doing, who she's been meeting. Uh, and then after three months, she came back at Christmas and uh, we properly got together and all the rest of it. But you want to get to know someone, don't you? When you, when you find out someone new and you're attracted to them or you just want to become friends, you want to know everything about them. So I can't wait for Christmas because I'm going to see my family again. I've got a nephew who's just gone past one, so he's just starting to talk and do lots of new things. I can't wait to see him. What's he doing now? What's the next thing? And my mum and dad have been having a bit of a tough time. And I want to know how they're getting on and how's life for them uh, down in London or just St Albans. So when you get to know, when you meet someone, you want to get to know them more intimately. And that is, I would say, the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to help us know and love uh, Jesus, reveal Jesus. So Jesus might be, it might have been, or is for you, sort of a bit detached, a bit mythical, a bit sort of 2,000 years ago type stuff. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, suddenly Jesus becomes real and not just some sort of spiritual thing, but a genuine person that you get uh, to know. You become intimate with them. So, if you've got John's Gospel there, turn uh, to page 43, and we're going to look what it says. <coughs> Could I have a volunteer to read verses 25 and 26, right at the bottom of page 43? Thank you, can't wait for everyone to get it. So, page 43, verse 25, right at the bottom, you'll see the title above, Jesus Promises the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is with his disciples. He's about to be crucified, raised, and go back to heaven to be with his Father. And this is what he says to his disciples. Go for it, Cap. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So did you see that the, Jesus is going, but he's going to send someone who calls the Counselor. So someone to sort of be alongside us until we can talk to whom the Father will send, and he's going to teach us what? Everything about Jesus. Everything I have said to you that the Holy Spirit is going to do. Flick over the page to page 46. And if again, we can have a volunteer to read verses 12 to 15. So they're halfway down page 46. Again, the title is The Work of the Holy Spirit. Have we got a volunteer for that? Great, thank you, Johnny. I have much more to say, more than you can lie there. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He 
He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from me what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to me, or all that belongs to the Father, is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. You see the same thing. So the Holy Spirit takes of everything that is Jesus, what he said, who he is, and he makes it known uh, to us. And so when you become a Christian or when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life, and that's a continual thing you do as a Christian, um, suddenly he becomes much more real. Uh, and I remember when that happened to me, and suddenly I became a Christian, or I asked the Holy Spirit, and suddenly it's like, yeah, I really do feel like I know Jesus, and I'm getting to know him more. So in any relationship, though, you're going to have to communicate, aren't you? You're going to have to uh, get to know each other. And that ultimately is what the Bible is about. The Bible is God's way of speaking to us about who Jesus is. So, go to page 14, and we'll see this. Um, Go to page 14, and verses 39 to 40, I'll read them. This is Jesus speaking to these Pharisee type people again. And he's talking to them about how they know the, the Old Testament, the scriptures, but they don't know him through them. Listen to what he says. This is what the Bible is about. Jesus says to them, verse 39, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess, possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, that you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus says that all of the Bible ultimately points to him and how we can have eternal life in him. So when you become a Christian and ask the Holy Spirit into your life, it might not be easy, but you go, I actually do want to know what the Bible says and I do want to read it or I want to have someone else in a sermon explain it to me. And there's that hunger to understand and to know. And maybe you've you've just become a Christian or want to become a Christian and you're starting to read the Bible and you're like, actually, it does start to make a bit more sense than it ever used to. Or when I hear someone else speak about it, yeah, that really is. It makes sense of life. It makes sense of who Jesus is. Um, So that, and I think that would be my story. The more I've committed my life to God, the more I've asked the Holy Spirit to come into my life, and when I became a Christian back when I was 12... The thing I've wanted most is to know Jesus through the scriptures and then know him personally as well. It hasn't always been easy. Reading the Bible can be tough. It can seem a bit old-fashioned. And that's when we need help as well. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he wants to reveal Jesus to you from the scriptures. But not only that, with any, getting to know anyone, you not only have to communicate, but you have to listen. But you also have to talk. And so it's all, you know... It's, God communicates to us and we listen through the Bible, but then we talk to God through prayer. Now, I don't know what you think of prayer. I imagine most of us have tried it in some form. A lot of people think prayer is something, you know, very ritualistic and formal and, you know, sort of old-fashioned and I have to use certain words. So, let me give you an example. Leanne and I love to talk, obviously. That's how we get to know each other. Imagine if I said to her one morning, Oh, Leanne, thou most beautiful one, how goest thou? You look as like the blossom on a tree on the summer's night. And your hair like the evening sunset. Um, I'm sure she wouldn't mind a bit of romantic language. But that is just odd and weird. Especially for me. So, you know, when I talk to Leanne, it's natural. And I tell you what, it's, it can be heated. It can be real. It's real. And, I talk, and we can have little discussions and we can get upset with each other, whatever. It's open. It's natural. It's heated. It's relaxed. It's all of those things. It's not formal. And when we pray to God, when we talk to him, that's exactly the same. It's relaxed, it's normal, it's open, it can be heated, and that's all fine. It's nothing formal, it's nothing fake. 
When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he started by saying, Heavenly Father or Abba Father. We address the creator of the universe as a father. That is our model for prayer. He's like, I'm the child, he's the father, and I just speak to him like a kid speaks to a father. So what does Romans 8 famously say? This is a verse about the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit speaks to us in our hearts and tells us we are God's children. So the Holy Spirit, when he comes into your life, he reminds you, he makes it clear that I am a child of the King of Kings and I can speak to him. I have this intimate relationship with God. So that is what the Holy Spirit's about in terms of giving us the hunger to know Jesus. So picture it this way. Imagine if, um, you know, Jonathan Ross, Friday night with Jonathan Ross, that was last night. Imagine if uh, God decided to turn up on Jonathan Ross to tell us his views on the world, on life, on love, relationships, meaning, purpose, etc. You bet your life every single one of us would tune in to hear what God has to say on these topics. You know, the creator of everything, who knows how it works, is going to tell us about all these things we're interested in. Well, it's as if God in the Bible says, I have spoken. I've told you exactly what I think about love, truth, meaning, happiness, fulfilment, living life to the full. He's spoken to us through the Bible. And then we get to chat back. We can tell him about our worries, our joys, our burdens, our troubles. We can talk about our job, our future, our finances, our family, our fears. We can talk about anything we want with him. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is gives us a hunger to know Jesus. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is gives us a hunger to be like Jesus. This is, I want you to hear this, this is the inevitable consequence of becoming a Christian and being filled with the Spirit that you will see some of these characteristics in your life. Paul put it in, the, in a book to a church uh, called in, in Galatia, so it's the letter to Galatians. It's called The Fruit of the Spirit. This is the, the inevitable consequence of becoming a Christian and being filled with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now I wonder if you can think of a more attractive list of qualities to have in your own character. I I reckon you won't be able to, because I think that sums up the character of Jesus himself. And what the the Holy Spirit wants to do is, I want to develop all the fruit. I want to develop this to be the fruit of your life. This is what your life will start to look like. Let me try and help you unpack it a bit. The first thing we see in those fruit is a changed attitude to people, to circumstances, and to ourselves. So firstly, it changes attitude to people. He talks about love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. They're all things you do with other people, aren't they? You can't have love unless you've got someone to love. You can't be kind unless you can be kind to someone. So, you, you know, it's what you do to other people. Now, the first one, love. In Greek, there are three types of love. And if you know your classics, there's philio, friendship <coughs> love, eros, sexual love, and agape, which is the highest form of love, which is this unconditional, sacrificial love. Agape literally means I always see something infinitely beautiful in the other person. It's unconditional, there's no strings attached. I always see them as infinitely beautiful. It's the word that is used every time for the love of God. Agape love. Paul puts it like this later in another book. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. It's a love for other people. It's a love Jesus shared. I don't know if you know the story in John. It's in here, in John chapter 13. 
Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper, the last time he's ever with his group of disciples, and he shows us this type of love perfectly. There was no servant there. So Jesus takes a towel, puts it round his waist, he picks up the basin, and it's dusty Jerusalem road, everyone's wearing sandals in those days, and he starts to clean each of his disciples' feet. The master, the king, says, I will be a servant. I will love you with this agape, this unconditional, self-sacrificial love for the others. And at the end of that, he says to his disciples, now you go and do the same if you're my disciple. Another famous example of this is 1 Corinthians 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, the chances are 1 Corinthians 13, which is a beautiful poem about love, was read out. 1 Corinthians 13 is actually about a church that is struggling to get on. They're having fights, as it were. And this is what Paul says to that church. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Basically, love is for others even when they're unlovable. That's what you could describe it as. Imagine if you replaced the word Jesus there. Jesus is patient, kind. He doesn't envy. He's not, he doesn't boast. He's not proud. He's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrong. Imagine putting your own name in there. It's quite humbling, isn't it? Could you put your own name at the start of that? Well, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit wants to be able to put your name in there. I want to develop this kind of characteristic in you. So you love like this. This is how Jesus loves. And I want to make you like him. And I want to make you love like this. So... The Holy Spirit wants to make us like Jesus by giving us a changed attitude to other people. The second thing the Holy Spirit wants to do in terms of making us like Jesus is a changed attitude to our circumstances. So three of the fruits was joy, peace and patience. Now we all know what it is, don't we, to be robbed of our joy and to be disturbed of our peace and and for our patience to be exhausted. So if you're stuck in a traffic jam... I'm sure Bradley's car had all this this morning. Uh, I imagine that their joy was robbed, that their peace was disturbed, and that their patience was exhausted. Isn't that right, Charlie? Yes. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit says, I want to give you a new attitude to your circumstances. He wants to, I want to give you something. Joy is different from happiness. Happiness depends on your circumstances, whether you've done well, whether you've achieved your goal. So I was playing football this Monday night, five-a-side football, we would like, I think it was 3-2 at half-time. We were up, we were playing better. At half-time, we had a great team chat, and all the boys were like, yeah, it's going great. Second half, we go 5-2 up, and so we're like, delighted, we're going to win this game easy. Then we have someone get um, Simbin, and then they come back, and it's 5 all. and by the end, our players are squaring up to their players, and the referees having to stop fights. Our half-time was full of joy, we're winning. By the end, it's 5 all, and we're on the back foot, and our guys are fuming. Because their joy, or actually their happiness, depended on whether they were winning or not. It was on their circumstances. And if your happiness is based on circumstances, it's so fragile because it comes and goes. Joy goes right through the moment, every moment, all through the tough times. Because it's joy in God, who never changes, not joy in your circumstances. The same with peace. Peace is different from tranquility. On one occasion, a painting competition was held, and the theme of each picture was peace. There were two prize winners. 
One had gone to the Lake District in the northwest England and painted a beautiful landscape with a calm lake in the foreground and hills in the background, covered in well-ordered coniferous trees that extended down to the water's edge, casting an almost mirror reflection in the lake. There were just one or two puffs of white cloud in the sky and the foreground on the lake was a duck and her ducklings were gently floating in the warmth of the sunshine and tranquility of the setting. The painting was called Peace and it won second prize. The other artist had gone to Cornwall and had painted a picture of a thundercloud. On the left of the picture was a rugged cliff that plunged into the sea and the waves lashing, lashed violently against the rocks. On top of the cliff there was a tree at almost 40 to 5 degree angle as a strong gale blew in from the sea. The sky was covered with black cloud, the rain was hard and harsh and flashes of lightning occupied the top right hand side of the painting. About two thirds of the way up the cliff there was a cleft in the rock and in the cleft there was a nest. On the nest there sat a girl with its eyes closed. The artist called his painting Peace and won first prize. It's a peace in the midst of troubles. Paul calls it a peace that transcends all understanding because I'm not, I don't escape my trouble but in the midst of it I have peace, a peace that comes from God. What scares me doesn't scare him. However big my trouble is, there's bigger arms holding me still. Paul put it like this, look, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So, as a Christian, you're never devoid of the troubles and the pains of life. But in the trouble, you have joy and you have peace. And not only that, you have patience. Patience helps us to just cope in the tough times. But it's not something we do, it's something the Holy Spirit gives us. So let me give you an example from my own life. Over, t- over three years ago, I was going through life normally, I just got married, I had a good job, life was really fun. And then I found, a, I found out that I was getting like headaches most days, I was feeling very lethargic, if I did any exercise I'd puke up. And I just, after sort of six months of it, it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. I'd get dizzy, I'd eat and never get satisfied, which... I know it kind of happens now, but it really, really did happen. And I had diabetes <coughs> in the family, so I thought, well, oh, I've got diabetes, so I need to have my, you know, my blood checked, and it wasn't diabetes. And then on the 4th of May, 2005, I, I remember coming home from my Bible college, I had blurred vision, I had a banging headache, I was hard to concentrate all day long, and I got home, and I puked up, and I was shivering on the sofa, but I was sweating as well. I had all the tests, I was rushing to hospital, so the A&E, and I had like the lumbar puncture, the CAT scan, the chest x-ray, all of the tests. And, and no, nothing was being found. And Leanne was there at my side, you know, just new married couple. And, um, and I tell you, throughout the whole thing, we both say we had a peace about it all. I might have died, I haven't died, but I might have died. In fact, they said that uh, a month earlier in another UK hospital, someone died of the same symptoms. Because I have a random thing called Addison's disease, and I wear a bracelet. If I ever have a car accident, they know what I've got. One in 100,000 people get it. It's very hard to diagnose. It's always on the medical exams in the fifth year because they want their students to know what it is. And people in the third world are dying of it the whole time because no one knows what it is. And even over here, it's missed. But Leanne and I had such a peace. We knew God was in control, whether I lived or whether I died. Leanne had all the strength and the patience to survive. And I tell you what, I even... Strangely, I just had a joy. 
because I knew my life was in the hands of the Lord and he would do whatever he wanted with me. It doesn't mean I'm, I, I, I was removed from the trouble, although later I did get diagnosed. But there's a peace, there's a joy, and there's a patience in the tough times of life. So the Holy Spirit wants to give us a changed attitude to our circumstances. And finally, changed attitude to ourselves. The last fruit of the Spirit is self-control. When God's Holy Spirit comes to live in you, he doesn't take control over your life as if you're then suddenly like a zombie, as a robot. But he enables us to take control of ourselves. You see, there will be habits or there will be things that threaten to control us. There might be greed, selfishness, pride, whatever. Things that drive us, things that excite us in life that we know aren't good. And the Holy Spirit says, I want to change your desire and your ability in all of those sort of things that threaten you to control you. So one verse says this, by, the, by his divine power, that's God's Holy Spirit, his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. God has given us divine power so we can live life controlled in a way that pleases him. Um, it doesn't nec- it can happen automatically. You might think, you know what, I wish I could break this habit or be free of some- this thing that controls me. And it might happen like that. And God sometimes does that. But sometimes it's just a gradual thing. And all of us as Christians, as we grow as Christians and become to know Jesus more and are filled more with his Holy Spirit, we'll see changes in our patterns and the things that seem to control us. Um, I don't know if you remember Dave's testimony. And he talks about how he was very negative and he was depressed. And all that started to change when he became a Christian. And the negative emotions and things started to change. Not necessarily instantaneously, but they started to change. So a changed attitude um, to ourselves. But finally, so hunger to know Jesus, a hunger to be like Jesus, and a hunger to serve Jesus. One last reference and then we're done. Go to page 21. <coughs> this is Jesus speaking to a big crowd about the work of the Holy Spirit again. It's during a festival and it's page 21. Also, there it is. Page 21, it's verses 37 to 39. It's at the bottom right of page 21. Can I have a volunteer to read that? Great, thanks, Lisa. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Holy Spirit was given at a day called Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came upon all the Christians. And uh, this is what Jesus said it would be like. It would be like a stream of water. It will refresh you, it will clean the slate. We looked at all that this morning. But you see what it says? It says, will flow from within. And as if it flows from within and flows out. So ultimately, the Holy Spirit isn't for you. It's for you so you can be for other people in a sense. It's that it works in you like a stream that rises up and flows straight out. And the New Testament talks again and again when it talks about the Holy Spirit. It's like being part of a team where you all have different gifts and the Holy Spirit does different things in your life, but only so you can play your part in the team. And the key is not to think, well, how good am I and what do I do in the team? The key thing is to go, how can I look outwards at the others and let them look in at me as it were? So you're part of a team. The success of a team is always how you work together. And the Holy Spirit says, I've given you each different gifts so you can work for the good of the team. One verse that says this, there's lots. God has given us each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Some of those gifts will be natural gifts you're born with and that God uses them to serve others. 
and some of them will be new gifts that God gives you when you become a Christian. So that is what the Holy Spirit does. Let me just go through it. He gives us a hunger to know Jesus, particularly looking at the Bible and prayer. A hunger to become like Jesus, a changed attitude to people, circumstances and ourselves. And a hunger to serve Jesus, expressed in love for others. Let me just say my quick story, and it might be helpful then on your tables to ask the Christians on your table, what did it look like for you to become a Christian and be filled with the Spirit? Um, I remember when I first became a Christian, I hungered to know Jesus. I suddenly wanted to get up in the morning and read my Bible. I suddenly wanted to listen to people that knew their Bible, that could teach it to me. And I suddenly wanted to pray to God about everything, however pathetic or big or small. I just wanted to tell him. Not because I'm great, but I just remember it happening. I had that hunger. I had a hunger to be like Jesus. So I don't, it's hard, isn't it, in your own life to see this. But I was away in Ecuador for 10 months when I'm a gap year. And I came back and my dad just said, you're a completely different guy. Because through those 10 months, I'd grown. I had read my Bible, I had prayed, I had tried to be, you know, just grow. And I'd completely changed. And I hungered to serve Jesus. Well, I'm not very good at it necessarily, but I'll tell you this. I feel most alive when I do find myself serving others. It's as if that's what life is supposed to be about. I naturally want to turn inwards, but when I do turn outwards to others, it feels like that is how life is supposed to be lived. Not around me, but around others. And so what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you, if you become a Christian or if you are a Christian, he wants to give you a hunger to know Jesus, to become like him, and to serve him. It's not always easy. You're not going to be perfect. And that's why I use the word hunger. We've never arrived until we get to heaven. But there's a hunger to grow and to grow. There's a hunger. It stays in you. So, table discussions. Have you experienced the hunger that the Holy Spirit gives? If so, how and in what areas? Would you like to experience the hunger that the Holy Spirit gives? If so, how and kind of what areas? But finally, a question that's not on there is, Ashfield Table Leaders, what was it like when they became a Christian or when they were filled with the Spirit? Did they see any of these hungers? Because the stories will all be different, and that's the point. God meets with us differently. How those experience, uh, how did they experience, did they experience those things, and how did they experience them?